Hi, welcome to another episode of Paul Tom Power, Power System Designs podcast on the latest in power and power design. I'm your host, Alex Paul, and today I've got Sejal Goshal. He's with uh, AMS. He's a friend of the show, and we've had him on before to talk. Today we're going to talk about the uh, Internet of Things, which is an insanely huge subject, isn't it, Sejal? Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. It's uh, glad to be on the show with you. Oh, I'm glad to have you back. The, but as I was saying, Internet of Things means, I mean, yes, it's a very descriptive buzzword, but it's huge. There's so many moving parts in it, no pun intended. That is true. It's actually, uh, it's actually a very exciting field, which is what everyone is seeing and sensing uh, around in terms of the market growth. But it has got a lot of moving parts and a lot of architectural elements that I think play a key role in terms of how this particular technology will become viable and, uh, and useful to, to everyone around. Well, and, and one of the reasons that we're so focused on it, I realize that it's a uh, smart systems and intelligent communications uh, backbone, but at the end of the day, the result is, a, is not only convenience and functionality, but also significant uh, energy efficiencies. Absolutely. I think, you know, energy will be one of the key elements, and that's just the starting point, because what, what is really starting to happen is we are starting to build systems that are becoming aware uh, of our environment and energy being one of them, but it will also become more aware of ourselves and the environmental parameters around us, for instance, the kind of temperature or sunlight or exposure that each of us are, are, are exposed to will become part of our environment that we will become aware of. And, uh, and that's one of the reasons uh, with, with our developments that you've been seeing that have just come out in January, we sort of coined this concept called the Internet of Awareness because it really is what connects the IoT and makes the mm-hmm. IoT aware. Without that, you actually have a lot of moving parts, a lot of pieces in the cloud, but you really don't know where things are in terms of the environment and, uh, and, the, and the place around the human being. Right. Well, no precision without feedback, right? That's correct. That's correct. So, uh, so I think that uh, you know, with the Internet of Things, what we see today, uh, actually we do have the Internet of Things. It's actually on one of the most popular platforms in the world and a really big platform, which is the smartphone. So mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. see the smartphone today as being the baseline or the fundamental structure of how the IoT will expand, but it will primarily expand around what's called the PAN, the personal area network, which is the 10-meter space around the individual. And so if mm-hmm, you look at mm-hmm. wearables, uh, fitness wearables, and other wearables that people are putting on their body, they will connect into the smartphone, which has primarily two networks, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and then, of course, the cellular network. And so the uplink will always be cellular or Wi-Fi, but the local area network that you connect your sensors to, which is part of the IoT, will be on Bluetooth. Exactly. Now, that's, that's going to be like 500, you know, 5 billion phones in the world you know, coming up to 2020. So that's a huge footprint for this IoT-connected local system that will be there. Exactly, exactly. And, and well, I mean, this is such a brave new world in so many ways because – Let's go one step beyond, because once you start talking about the IoT, it's not just a personal item. Your house can now be a smart house, an intelligent node in the fabric, as it were. Absolutely, and that's, that's actually a good, uh, good point. I mean, the home and everything around you really has got a lot more elements that you want to sample information on. For instance, you know, temperature, humidity, the occupancy of different rooms, etc. Now, the interesting right. about this particular... Uh, smartphone, you know, IoT hub that we talked about is it's, it's, it's sitting in your pocket or, you, or in your hand. So the moment you leave the house, you actually take the IoT with you. 
So this is a significant mm-hmm. problem because really the home is not moved, and, and it's the presence and the and the elements in the home that are now become important, but they're connected, to, but they don't have a connection because the smartphone has moved on, which then brings right. That says, how do you connect things in a static mode in places that are not moving? Which will be, well, you know, a good 70 to 80 percent of the market. The the concept is that the IoT devices by 2020, 2030, the numbers are astronomical. They see numbers in the order of 50 to 60 billion devices. Right. Well, you know, and and Sejal, when 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 you think about that, I remember, you know, as a child, and like we probably all can. The number one thing about power consumption in the house was turn off the damn lights when you're not in the room. And the, the whole aspect you were saying about coming and going, just the fact that the house knows you're there so it can turn on the lights and knows you're gone so it can turn off the lights, just that alone. I mean, forget about air conditioning and white goods, which are also massive opportunities also, but just the sheer aspect of making sure the damn lights aren't wasting energy. That little thing is going to save billions of dollars. It is. It's absolutely true. And you know the and that's and that's really where things need to go. And it starts at the light, uh, where I think if the light became aware, today we have to drive the light. So when you walk into a room, you have to switch on a light switch. Well, we've right. got some really you know powerful things and, and and technology and sensing that we can actually sense you when you enter the light, enter the room. And so you can use that, and then the, and the light could become aware of your habits or your behavior, and then accordingly learn. So it becomes self-learning. So what we see in the end is there will actually never be a light switch anymore because the light will be smarter enough to understand what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's so, so once you have two basic sensors in the light, one is the, you know, what is, what is the lux in the room so you can adjust it to the required target. Uh, if it's dark, it brightens the, the room up. If the room is right window, you know, sunlight's coming in, you really don't need to waste any energy, and you can dim the light back. And then if there's presence integrated into the, into the light itself, then you can see if someone is in the room or not. And that, what you see today, for instance, people talk about occupancy. And I tend to use a different word, bring out the, the subtle difference in the two. Occupancy is viewed as, as uh, one of these big pucks that you see on the wall, which costs you 50 to $100, depending on the thing. And it kind of has a certain beam range, but it's not, not always consistent and gives you information if someone's in the room or not. You know, right. structures and office structures, especially commercial offices, are kind of changing. They're more cubicleized. It's not like in a in a room you've got large set of you know ambient lights that are around. So if you had the ability to move the occupancy into a light, and each light then becomes aware, you have changed the granularity of the information coming, which is how the IoT and big data actually would start to work. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So. So you know we are working on some on new technology for instance, that can that can count the number of people in a room from a from a light fixture looking down. It does not violate any pre- any privacy issues because you're not trying to do that. But you you are basically trying to find out how many people in a room, and you can use that as information to be sent back to a, a central system. To the support all that, you've got to have some platform. And what we found is the, is the platform already exists today. Every room has a light, and every light has power. Right, and then there you go. Because if you've got if you've got power at the source, boom, you're done. You're done. So now it's only a matter of the electronics that you can build in there that are small enough and, and meet the requirements. And so that now becomes a very interesting hub for the IoT. So you are now starting to see that next step, which is what AMS is, is, is projecting, which is we have the light, we can do energy savings, but you also have now created a sensor hub 
in every single room so that when your smartphone walks away, you still have the IoT network in place. Got it. Right. So now, um, so, well, I was just going to really ask you very quickly, so how is um, that manifested in product at AMS? Good question. So today, uh, in, in, in January, we released our first uh, product, which is a smart daylight manager. And what that product does is two things. It, it has integrated silicon optics, all in a 2 by 2 millimeter chip, which can look down and analyze the light levels inside the room. You can set a particular target, and the, and the, and the device is constantly slave to that target. So, for instance, if you have lights uh, near a window where sunlight is coming in, they'll automatically dim. And when, when darkness comes in uh, or you pull the shades, they will brighten back up and, meet, and maintain the same lux target. So, for human beings, the lux target is what we see. For instance, I'm on a desk reading a, new, reading a paper. I need about 200 lux as my illumination. Because the light's above on the thing, it can look down and, and look at the lux that it's actually delivering as opposed to the source of the, of the lamp itself. Because it's really what what reflected light occurs is that's important to us, as opposed to looking directly into the light. So that's that's a perfect position to try to analyze that and bring that that picture in. So that's kind of the first step that we do. So we automatically, autonomously maintain the light levels of a room in in any environmental condition that occurs. And part of the reason for that is we want to be able to do have a single light bulb as opposed to one light bulb that responds to daylight, another light bulb, and the consumer doesn't know which one to pick. The light should be smart enough to be able to adapt to that. So that means <laughs> yes. a single component as opposed to buying new things every time. Got it. Well, and, and, and obviously, you know, the more functionality you can give as an option to the designer in the system, the more freedom you give them to provide extra functionalities, right? Absolutely, and that's, that's a terrific thing. So one of the other things on the device is that we have a local I2C port by which you can connect additional sensors. So here's some of the sensors that we think people will probably connect, and we have a few with us. Temperature and humidity. So now you can see mm-hmm. the temperature and humidity of every room at the, at the luminaire level. This is probably very important from an HVAC uh, you know, management standpoint. Now, or even a place like a museum. Yeah, that's true. That is absolutely true. Because there are a lot of facilities that can benefit from that technology. Especially huge, huge commercial places like museums. You know, one floor versus another floor could be quite different. Exactly. Microenvironments. So the ability to manage and monitor those microenvironments within a facility, that's a big advantage right there. That's correct. And you've got the granularity of control now, right? So it's not one light switch for, you know, 500 lights. Every light is independently controlled and, and, and self-monitored, right? Well, and that's a big thing, too, because as you pointed out, if I've got a room with irregular lighting, let's say I've got big windows on one side, I could actually have the lights intelligently illuminate so that the lighting is even throughout the room regardless of the, the irregular illumination coming in through the window. Absolutely, and that's a good point. Actually, I was, I was introducing an interesting problem on some new buildings that were being built, and what they had, uh, generally the way it works is the lighting designer will design and the layout of the lights based on mm-hmm. the particular uh, environment of the, of the new design. And if there's windows in particular areas, then he's put specific lights that are responsive to that, and he's put, you know, daylight sensors on the wall. And it turned out during the commissioning process when they went in, somebody had moved the walls and moved the windows. The lights stayed exactly in the same spots and the sensors. So now you have a sensor looking at daylight into a wall as opposed to a window, 
and, and so that makes this continuous retrofit a real problem. Now, if the lights themselves were smart, it wouldn't have mattered where they would have been and how you move the, the walls around or the furniture around in the room. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And so that's Got it. that and makes it a lot easier. There all you go. Our, light, now, so, uh, our lighting strategy is all network connected. Uh, we're network agnostic. You can connect to Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, Zigbee, uh, or any other proprietary uh, Ethernet uh, or other places. So one of the things to be aware of is lighting. You know, when you install a light in a commercial building, you generally install for a period of light of uh, 10 to 15 years. It's not a smartphone where you would buy a new smartphone, an iPhone 7 or whatever, two years from now. So lighting has to be something that has, that has some permanence to it and stability to it. And so that's one of the reasons the entire control and interface, we sort of integrated the controls into the light, and then the, the, the way you control it is through a command set. So today, I think in a lot of embedded designs, you find people having a large number of registers, and then to control the registers, you have what's called drivers. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. those software drivers are only compatible with the operating system that is in place. So Got it. If you the operating system, boy, your drivers don't work. So can you imagine a lighting system where someone changed the operating system and say, hey, I've got to upgrade all your drivers? <laughs> I don't think it's a deployable system. So what we did was we went ahead and said, okay, let's put more smarts into the light. So what we have is really a command structure in the lighting system. Commands don't change. If you want to dim a light, you simply say dim 10% and the light will dim 10%. If you want to on or off, you say light equals zero, light equals off, uh, one, and it turns it on or off. So that is independent of any operating system. It's, it's basically what you, you've seen in the, in, in, in the web uh, 3.0 where in an XML-based language is used to connect between pieces and it was independent after that of every browser in the world. You can work on every single browser and have the same... We have interpreting that information. And so that's the same thing we did with the lighting. So it's a high-level command. Any control from anywhere in the world can control it. You can change any, proce- any processor, any PC, any Mac, any smartphone. It will not affect the light. The light will still be controlled in the same way. Well, it's essentially oh, a smart I client at that point, right? That's it's essentially a smart client at that point. That's correct, yes. Very nice. Now, uh, what kind of hand-holding do you offer an engineer who wants to design your solution in? How much support do you give them? This is a very good question. So one of the things that we wanted to simplify is, is how quickly you can install, you can change a luminaire or, or lighting fixture from a, what it is today to a smart lighting fixture. So we've mm-hmm. developed these boards called uh, smart lighting interface kits. And they basically connect directly to every standard Control. If you want a local dimmer from a Lutron, Levitron, a 0 to 10 volt dimmer, you can connect directly to it. There's only wires going to it. So we recognize that lighting is generally done by electricians who are not going to read, you know, software manuals to do that. They're basically wiring things. So this is a basic wiring design. So you directly mm-hmm, wire mm-hmm. these to it. There's only two chips that you need. One is the AMS chip, which is a smart lighting manager. And the second chip is a wireless or a wired chip that you're connecting your lighting manager to. So we partner with different uh, lighting people. Our first partnership has been with Broadcom uh, to connect into Bluetooth. And so you can directly interface the Broadcom chip to our port. And we already have Android and iPhone applications running that you can control the lights through any remote smartphone or cloud-based connection. Mm-hmm. 
right? The second piece, and all commercial lights, primarily the only three pieces, you've got what's called, originally called a ballast for like uh, linear fluorescent, and that right. is the convert to an LED driver, which is your... I know, but that's so... If I may interject there, I hate yeah. the fact that the people are so lazy-minded that they're calling LED drivers ballast. Why don't they come up with a new name? Why don't they, or just simply say LED driver or, you know, solid-state lighting or sled or something, but... You know, the problem is, is that to use an inelegant descriptive word that doesn't really describe, I think eventually is going to bite us in the butt downstream with the loose definition. That's correct. That's correct. And the, the thing is, this, uh, you know, part of it is the definition, but part of it is, uh, you know, you're trying to migrate people from a previous technology, which was CFL and linear fluorescent lighting, to LEDs. And so they tend to use mm-hmm. similar terminology as they come across. So their familiarity is there, but it's really no, I get that. technologies, right? Exactly. And well, then the beautiful thing is, at least you're educating them on how to migrate to the next generation. We can worry about nomenclatures later. Correct. Correct. I mean, I think I think this is an important part because you know, uh, you do have what's called the early adopters, right? Which are people who are willing to jump in and try new things and don't have a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. But a large portion of the market is initially not that, uh, you know. Uh, adventurous. So the way you bring them to the market is by familiarity. If they if they are familiar with the same words, then they come into that easier. If the words become dramatically different, they tend to shy away in the beginning. So getting market growth is probably an important part of this momentum that uh, needs to be built up. Agreed. Agreed. So, Sejal, I would love to keep talking but unfortunately, this is a podcast and we have a time limit. I'm going to have to drag you back yet again in the future because we have a lot more to talk about. But unfortunately, we're running out of time today. So I'm going to ask you to do what I always ask my guests and to have the last word. So you could talk a little bit more about the product or the company or the market or just a tip for our audience. But the floor is yours. Thank you, Alex. I think uh, appreciate you uh, giving me the time to talk. I think what I'd like to close with is just a more higher level view of how sensing, I think, is going to be so pervasive in the next decade. And, mm-hmm. and then having systems that are smart and autonomous will become really essential for this technology to deploy. And EMS is really a company that's been focused on bringing, you know, sensor solutions to the world for a safer and healthier world. And a lot of times we say that, but it's not always recognized. But safety and health are really becoming the next decade's value. We, we value instruments and things we do now based on the health and safety that it brings to us. And energy or safety in terms of uh, proximity, awareness, is really one of the things that, uh, that I think drives that. So AMS's ability to bring this sense of solutions to the in awareness, I think, is going to be one of the key elements that enable this field. And I agree. I agree completely. Well, as I said before, no precision without feedback. You have to have an intelligent system that accepts input in order to be able to have good output. That's correct. So, hey, Sejal, thank you so much for coming on to the show again. And like I said, we're going to drag you back. But for now, unfortunately, I'm going to have to let you go. So thanks. Thanks a lot, Alex, and thanks for having me on the show. Oh, pleasure is mine. And I'd like to thank everybody out there in the audience for taking the time to be with us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for Paul Tom Power. Have a great day.